let's just be honest, y'all. America could really use a good therapy session. We've been through a lot recently, a global pandemic on a scale that even Hollywood really couldn't have prepared us for. One of the most dramatic economic downturns of the past half century. The exposure of racial tensions and divisions not seen or discussed in America in 60 some years. A contentious election cycle, a violent insurrection at the nation's capital. And a media landscape that kind of feeds and thrives on our national divisions. Yes, we would do well to lie back as a collective nation on a psychologist's couch, if only. <laughs> Plenty of experts have tried to point out ways that America might heal as a country. They've written books, they've given TED Talks, they've appeared on national TV, all spouting their own diagnosis for what ails us as a country. But now, one has shown up with a name that just might grab more attention than others. Trump. This week, Politicon is excited to welcome Dr. Mary Trump. Yes, that Mary Trump. The one whose expose on her very famous Uncle Donald made waves and headlines when it came out during the presidential campaign last year. But she's got more than just tea to spill on her family. She's got a PhD in clinical psychology. And her new book, the Reckoning, Our Nation's Trauma and Finding a Way to Heal. In it, she says she's using her training and experience as a psychologist to identify ways that America can start to repair some of the divisions that keep getting deeper and deeper. But will progressives care to listen to the advice and guidance of anyone with her last name? And will conservatives trust someone who's been so outspoken against Donald Trump? How can a public figure who entered the public eye on a mission to take down a member of her own family ever hope to heal or help anyone else heal? And how the heck are we going to get along? Where are you now? Um, I'm in Soho. Okay, so you've lived in Manhattan. You stay in New York most of the time. Yeah. The, uh, the whole pandemic thing working out okay there so far? People getting back to used to wearing masks again? Yeah, you know, we've been pretty good the whole time. And um, I think, you know, we, we, we adapt pretty well here. And most of us are vaccinated. So that, that adds an, an extra layer of comfort, which is not afforded to other people in places like Florida. Right. But those are the, the people who are not vaccinated are the ones, I mean, the, one, the people who are vaccinated are the ones who are wearing the masks. And they're the ones That's who don't right. need it, right? Because it's well, yeah, I mean, you know, I think it um, this crazy Delta variant is so contagious that I think we all should still be wearing masks. It's just unfortunate that I cannot believe we're heading into our fourth wave. It's just terrible. I've got family members who are currently in the hospital um, because of it, who and, and close family members, actually, right. too. And, and I was not shocked at all to find out that they had not had the vaccine. Um, Where are I'm you? in North Carolina. So, uh, and, uh, and, and we have done in North Carolina better than most states in the South. But, um, you mm -hmm. know, my, my family uh, <laughs> loves your uncle, <laughs> which I, make, cracks me up because I even told my mom, I've joked with my mom because, you know, I, was, I did The Apprentice um, with yep. him. And, and I, you know, I got in trouble myself initially because I was so convinced from my time with him that he was so in need of being loved and, uh, you know, 
having people like him that after he got elected as you know disappointed as i was i held out belief that he would need approval from america and might therefore moderate um to try to get everyone to love him and so i didn't come out i I said let's give him a chance for a while and it took me until charlottesville to say well shit screw that that ain't working um (laughs) to give it up but i joke all the time with people Like, Mom, you saw him. You saw him fire me, and you still vote for him. (laughs) But that's the thing. Like, I lost friends for the first time in my life over an election because knowing everything they knew about him from my perspective, they still voted for him. And it's like, how? I just don't, you know he's a horrible person. Do you think the rest of your family voted for him? Um, I, Yeah. But what's fascinating is say you you say your family loves him. I don't think anybody in my family does. Right. Well, that's because they, they, they my family loves him because they don't know him. But that's why I thought to my mother, you did. <laughs> he actually did do something mean to your own son. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and it's just not. And enough. she hated my him goodness. that night. But but you know when he ran for president, it was completely <laughs> different. Um, why, so if but if you think that people in the family don't like him and obviously we're talking about extended family not his children who have a reason to do you think do you think that uh, you know his your aunt is was nominated to the uh, to the federal bench by a democrat and you know is a moderately progressive individual is it just that there's that family thing and you know if my republican brother ran for Congress, I'd vote for him because he's my brother. Is that all it is? Or do you think they actually believe, as my family does, that he is working to make America great or was working to make America great? Oh, no, she was really clear about it. Um, she voted for him out of family loyalty. That was the only reason. That was it. Like, well, why? I mean, it was, you know, we're in New York. It's not like her vote counted. But like, that's not a reason to vote for, some, you know, to put somebody in charge of the country. Um, I mean, you know, it would be if you just disagreed, if you disagreed with them with on a few things. I mean, my mom would have voted for me for Congress, right? If she had been in my district. Right. But um, she just right. disagreed with me on certain policy things. She she happened to know that I'm not a bad person. So it helped <laughs> that she'd yeah. be able to do it. And, yes. I, and, and I, I certainly can see why there's a there's a difference if you know the if you know the man who you talked about in your last book um, as as someone who is Perhaps, and I won't diagnose because I'm not a doctor like you are, but um, psychologically flawed in some way. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't do it. But Quite very kindly. Um, <laughs> what I, I mean, I want I want to talk about the second book, The Reckoning, um, because I kind of want to know why you w- felt like you wanted to write it in the first place. I mean, th- I mean, I think a lot of Americans are very grateful <laughs> that you stood up last year and spoke out, spoke up as the only family member in, in the family who was willing to talk about uh, the, the man, um, <laughs> the child. But, but that you, you helped a lot, I think. So why, why continue? So. Like what's, I'm sure you've had that question. What's the motivation behind doing it now that you've sort of been successful in what I think you would, some would argue maybe your mission was? Yeah, um, well, I think because I have a broader mission, but the the biggest reason is because of the timing. 
I thought about writing this book back in October of 2020 when things were really bad uh, or things were getting increasingly bad again with COVID. We were, you know, it was just before the election and it was not a slam dunk by any stretch right. of the imagination for Biden. And, you know, initially it was about my concern um, in terms of what was going to happen when and if we were ever allowed to emerge from COVID in terms of people's mental health. Um, you know, I felt like we were staring down the barrel of the worst mental health crisis we have ever faced in this country. We're not equipped to deal with it at the best of times. So that was sort of, the, that's where I started. And then the election happened, the big lie happened, the insurrection happened. I'm like, you know what? I One, I can't write 330 million individual treatment plans. So I don't know that talking about that is um, useful. However, there is a real urgency to figure out how did we get here? How did we become as a country so susceptible to somebody like him? How did the Republican Party um, become a party that is, you know, basically anti-democratic and willing to do anything uh, to cling to power, uh, no matter how um, wrongly, right? And I felt... Um, you know, this is all unfolding really quickly. And because of what's been allowed to happen by the Republican Party, uh, 2022 is now the most important election in my lifetime. And depending on what happens More in important 2024, than the last one? Aren't they always, oh, isn't the next one always the most important? But, but I think that's only been the case since 2016. And it's increasingly true because if, if the Republicans win back either house, you know, uh, there's no more investigating. Um, they'll keep stacking the courts. And I'm not entirely sure there will ever be a free and fair election. Well, again. I mean, so, listen, I, I, I have my fears, too. But in yeah. 20 in worst case scenario happens in 2022 and Republicans win back both houses. Democrats do mm -hmm. still have the White House. Thank God for now. Um, yeah. And yeah. and. Hopefully, I mean, if you look at the census numbers that came out today and you look at the at the way that Republicans tend to gerrymander and I won't go into that yep. today because I get on a tear. Um, the chances yep. are, you know, it looks like it's more likely that they will take the House back. Right. So we do at least have mm -hmm. a, a check and balance in the White House. Is it fair? To, I mean, how, when you say how we got here, how much of a. How much responsibility is on each side, conservatives and progressives? Do they both hold responsibility for how we got to where we are? Um, yeah, but it's not 50-50. It's, it's like 80-20 maybe. Um, and I think, and again, I'm taking, I took a very long lens. I started, you know, from the inception right, of the right, country. and. Obviously, you know, the parties have switched since then. But if we're talking about the modern Republican Party, the De modern Democratic Party, I think that um, Republicans have engaged in uh, voter suppression and gerrymandering, which we're not going to talk about. <laughs> but they they want to make it harder and harder for people to vote, which is undemocratic. They um, are stacking the courts uh, so that the court doesn't represent uh, a majority of the people. And, you know, we have to put this in the context of the fact that, you know, parties aside, 
the American system of government favors one side over the other. You know, the Electoral College favors smaller, less populated states that trend conservative. Uh, the Senate now is divided 50-50, right? But the 50 uh, Democratic senators represent 41 million more people. So that's not really democracy. Um, the biggest problem I have with the Democrats, uh, certainly right now, is that they don't seem to understand how bad things are. They keep pretending that they're dealing with a rational Republican Party that is interested in governance, that is interested in, in um, strengthening our democracy. They keep pretending or believing, maybe, that there's a rule book. So how there's did no they rule become, because I it. agree that they're irrational. I mean, but how did they become irrational? Like what, what, the no, 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 Republicans. Oh. Rep oh, Democrats okay. are, are, you said that Democrats, I don't want to misquote you, you said that Democrats were, are, are, believe that they're dealing with a rational Republican Party. And, oh, and yeah. I'm mm -hmm. saying, I, I agree that Republicans aren't okay. rational, but how did they, how do people, I'm asking, I'm just fascinated about talking, by talking, to get to talk to you because you're able to bring mm -hmm. that clinical psychologist uh, expertise to this. How do people mm -hmm. get to a place, an individual, how do they get to a place of irrationality? I think it's, it, this is a project that's been decades in the making. You know, it, it, it started when, um, I mean, it started before this, but let's limit it to the last 40 years. Reagan with his racist dog whistles, right? And, and the party became um, much more dedicated to uh, white supremacy. It used to be subtle. Now it isn't. They were very determined to make it part of their mission to get people on their side to vote against their self-interest by introducing social issues like marriage equality and the women's right, women's right to choose. And they've also made ignorance something that, that people seem to be proud of. Agreed. You know, You're saying things that you know, I'm totally on board with. Like it's, it's people I used to get made fun of for being, for knowing grammar, <laughs> you know, for knowing how to yeah, spell something you. correctly. So I'm with you on there. On that. This is the only country in which being able to speak one language is superior to be able to being right. able to speak more than one, as long as the one you speak is English. It's completely crazy. What? But but, I mean, we've done this podcast for over a year now, and a big part of the goal is to try to talk to both sides and figure out what, mm -hmm. like, why, how the fuck we got here, right? And I got to <laughs> tell you, it is it's always fascinating to me that no matter who I speak to on what side they can always point to a place where this whole problem started. It's always the other side's fault. The other yep. side always, always caused it. You know, if we say, well, this goes back to the 90s when Newt Gingrich did, uh, you know, impeach mm -hmm. Bill Clinton. And those folks will say, the Republicans will say, no, that only happened because in 1988, Democrats, or 1980, such and such, Democrats did that to Clarence Thomas. And then Republicans will say, no, well, that, and so it oh. always goes back. Wow. There's constantly, and, and I wonder at what point, yeah. and it's, it's interesting that you were able to go back. It's impressive that you went all the way back to the founding of the country to find some of these things out. But at what point do you as a psychologist with patients, with clients, with folks who you sit and, and do therapy with, 
do you have, mm -hmm. do you say, well, you know, you can't control what other people do. You can only control what you do and how you react to it or how you respond to those things. How, I, it's, it's incredibly unfair. And I get that response from liberals on here all the time to say, we can't control what Republicans do, but we can control how we respond to it. Um, is there a point where we have to, both sides have to put down their weapons and say, okay, we're going to stop blaming you for Newt Gingrich's behavior in the 90s, and Republicans are going to stop blaming Democrats for what they did to Clarence Thomas, and we're going to stop blaming it for Robert Bork, and because Reagan did this, and Carter did this, and Nixon did, I mean, yep. it continues to go back. What, mm -hmm. what value does that bring to the argument? When we constantly, I mean, I hate gerrymandering and I agree that Republicans have screwed the country in my state, especially yep. with gerrymandering. Yep. But they'd respond with saying, well, Democrats did it for 60 years before we got in power. And OK, well. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. Um, but you're right. At some point, we do need to let that go. And because then it's like I can rebut every. Of course thing they say, um, what with, I think, facts, but it's irrelevant um, because you're not going to change people's minds and it's not worth it. We need to deal with uh, where we are right now. And one of the reasons we are where we are right now, and I will just quickly just look back a little bit, is that the Republicans have time and time again um, engaged with or used the um, fervor of groups like the Tea Party, right? Thinking that they could use that uh, energy um, and tame it somehow. But what's happened is the Republican Party got taken over by the Tea Party, just as the Republican Party has now been taken over by uh, Donald's acolytes. Right. So that is where we are right now. I, you know, there you can't pretend they can't pretend it's not the case. What do they think about saying, Democrats? Though? I mean, do they do they have the no, same opinion really, that Democrats have been taken over by the Cory Bushes and the AOCs? You know what? Even even if they did think that, right? Which it, it's absurd. But even if they did think that, you're going. I guess I would say that you're going to tell me that uh, somebody to the in office, who's to the left, mm -hmm. right, um, is equal to somebody who encouraged people to overthrow the country. Not to me. I mean, not to me, because no, I may you, disagree with Cory Bush and AOC on certain things, but they are sure as hell right. not as bad as what we saw on January 6th, right? But they operate within the system, even though they are, you know, farther to. And let's be really clear about something else: there are no radical leftists. But in Congress, but don't they? Again, I think about my family, who are all intelligent mm -hmm. and good people. Who and I, I wrote down the word facts you used um, earlier about when you said I think I can rebut them with facts and I'm sure you could, but <laughs> but I can't help but think about the arguments that I've had with my family where they send me facts, which aren't facts, <laughs> but they believe but they believe are yeah. and they think that mine are wrong too. I mean, in order to solve the problem, in order to get to it, this reckoning that we have to have, right, is yeah. at some point going to have to be about. Everyone like agree, 
<laughs> agreeing on one common set of, of what's true and what's false <laughs> and what's accurate and what's inaccurate, but also what's what is a crisis and what is not? And I am not for a second implying that what happened on January 6th is not a crisis. I'm not for a second implying that a sitting president claiming that the election was stolen from him is not about as close to a to a constitutional crisis as we have come in my lifetime. But I do wonder if there is a point at which we cry wolf so much that the town doesn't come running. I mean, I think about all the things that were said about John McCain in 2008 and how he was dangerous for America and Mitt Romney had binders full of women and he was going to send us all back to the to the Stone Age. And I also think, well, shit, how much would we like both of them in 2016 instead? And I wonder how yeah. often yeah. we cried wolf to a point that no one listened in the same way that Republicans or conservatives or MAGA heads um, on that side are constantly saying socialism, socialism, socialism. They're trying to turn us into Venezuela and, and Cuba. And every time you cry it and then Obamacare gets passed and we find out we actually like it, <laughs> you, that's another cry wolf on their side. I mean, both sides are doing a little bit of, of wolf crying, aren't they? No, I don't, don't, I don't so. agree with that. No, I, I mean, I think in campaigns, yeah, people overstate things and that's a strategy, but um, I don't think it is crying wolf when you, we say that um, the man in the Oval Office in 2020 lied about oh. the results of the election. Oh, I agree with you there. So, that's not crying wolf. I guess my the re what I was saying is, did we cry wolf with McCain and cry wolf with Romney? And then when the wolf actually showed up in 2016, nobody believed us when we said he's No, the you know what? Because, <laughs> because think, about, think about all of the things that were said about Hillary Clinton or um, Barack Obama. He was, he was a Muslim, right? He was a secret Muslim who wasn't even born in America. So, um, you know, I think in, to some degree... Like, I think that's crossing a line. Agreed. I think some of the stuff that was said about Hillary Clinton was crossing a line. But let's, you know, stepping back for a second and let's leave aside that kind of thing. It's politics. It's playing. It's politics. Right. So um, if we want to uh, that, grapple I mean, with that. Didn't John, didn't some, some John yeah, McCain, yeah. there's a great video of him where a lady calls Obama a Muslim and a terrorist. And John mm -hmm. McCain interrupts her and says, no, ma'am, I'm sorry. No, he's not. Um, he, he's somebody who I disagree with, and, but he's not a Muslim. He's not a terrorist. Um, I mean, that was, God, can you imagine having that today? <laughs> Mary, what if we had people like that? And on, the, on the right, I can't. Yeah, yeah. I, listen, I think one of the problems is that we've become so polarized because of what you said earlier. There are two sets of facts. And that's not how the world works. You know, when people often say we're operating according to two different realities, and the, the answer to that question is no, there's, there aren't two realities. There's one reality. One side is living in it, and the other side is pretending it doesn't exist. So um, part of that problem, and this is a problem that affects all of us, is that we don't teach critical thinking. So certain types of people are susceptible to conspiracy theories. They're, um, you know, one thing the is right that does. Is uh, that something that we're, that we're born with or that we're taught as a, at a young age? What is that? 
I, I think that a lot of what we're dealing with is um, failures of education. And that is a long-term strategy uh, to solve some of the problems, but it's not going to help us right now. Is it just right that, now. though? Because I'm telling yeah. you, I look on Facebook yeah. now and people who I went to high school with, Lord of mercy, oof, they have gone some well, different directions in their life yeah, with, with their political views. But back in the day, <laughs> they weren't like that. No, and, and it's, it's quite something. And it does feel like it's happened suddenly. But one of the things I try to write about is that it, it's been a long time coming. In fact, somebody said this to me recently. I wish I could remember who it was so I could give him credit. Um, Do- Donald was t- 250 years in the making. And so was this crisis in history that we're facing right now. And when we're talking about, um, when we're talking about how uh, lies are used or we're talking about how misinformation is used or conspiracy theories are used or how fear is used as a weapon, we are almost exclusively talking about the right. And that's just true. You know, um, the fear mongering that has been done about immigrants and about, um, you know, Black Lives Matter and Antifa, which isn't even a thing. You know, there's no organization. It's just a, Basically, it's just an abbreviation for anti-fascist. Right. It's every single one of our, our parents, grandparents and great grandparents who fought, fought in World War II, II, World War II for II. the Allies, right? Yeah. They're all Antifa. <laughs> oh, no. You know, so um, I think it is important to to suss out where we go wrong on each side of the aisle, but I don't think we're doing ourselves any favors when we aren't really clear that right now the the problems that threaten us as a nation are on the right. And I'm not I, I'm saying that objectively. I'm not saying that as a Democrat. I'm saying that as somebody who's paying really close attention. And as somebody who understands how somebody like my uncle got where he is, and it's not because of anything that's happened on the right. Right, and I don't, well, I don't, listen, I don't disagree with you at all, and I've, I've made my mm-hmm. bias perfectly clear. Um, I <laughs> <laughs> ran as Democrat, I am a progressive, yep. but as someone who lives, who ran in a very, very red district, who lives in a pretty progressive city, but in a pretty per- very purple, um, red-leaning purple state, you know, yeah, I yeah. do have to, I, I guess I spend probably more time than most of my fellow Democrats want me to asking <laughs> what I can do or what we can do as a party or people who have these values and these beliefs to help change minds instead of constantly telling people they're wrong because you know better than yep. anyone you sit and you you oh. can't change anybody's mind when you tell them how wrong they are right you you cannot and um i i think it requires a certain kind of patience that that people don't have and one of the reasons we don't have that patience is because some of the views that are espoused are are virulently racist or anti-semitic or homophobic and and there should be no patience for that but also right now we're in a situation where um, they're putting our lives at risk. They're putting our children's lives at risk. Agreed. And I'm not, I, you know, I don't have um, the ability to ha- have any kind of understanding for that. I mean, I, 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 let's put it this way. I understand it because 
they've been betrayed by their leaders. They were told by people like Donald and people like DeSantis and Abbott, it's a hoax or it's not a big deal. You don't have to wear a mask. Only wimpy liberals do that kind of thing. They've been betrayed by their leaders. However, these are adult human beings. And I, as much as I might understand it, I don't have compassion for it because we increase, every day we have more children in the hospital, in the ICU, dying. And it's, I think, sometimes you just have to put your foot down. We tried being patient. We tried being polite. We tried, you know, gently convincing them, and it isn't working. And I think part of it is, you know, which is one of the main themes in my book, it's not the American citizen. It's the fact that we have, time after time after time, let our leaders get away with everything. So, so who do you hope reads your book then? Who do, who do you, who's the audience for you? I mean, because it sounds like if, the, if we're identifying the problem um, mm-hmm. as being on largely with certain people on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the far right. Um, we can disagree there, but that's, I'm going to say the far right no, because no, I do no. think that there are people who are Republicans mm-hmm. who I disagree with on policy. I mean, I couldn't imagine, I couldn't stomach voting for Liz Cheney for anything, but... <laughs> I have to respect her um, (laughs) for calling something right now, right today. No, listen, I I still wouldn't, I still wouldn't vote for her for president, but I will have respect for her. And I'm certainly not going to, if she ends up being the nominee, I'm going to be thankful (laughs) that we're not stuck with Matt Gaetz, right? (laughs) But But so the, the title is The Reckoning, Trauma and Finding a Way to Heal. So Mm -hmm. who needs to heal? And are are they the people who you are you think will pick this book up? Oh gosh, no! I think they just hate me. Right. <laughs> so there's no chance that they're <laughs> going to pick this book up. But and I just want to make it clear: like I don't think every single one of those 74 million people is hopeless not. and is you know. However, a large chunk of them are what I I think of as knee-jerk Republicans. You know, they don't pay that much attention. They don't have the luxury of paying attention to politics like you and I do. They have to work three jobs, whatever. And they're they're also probably the ones who are voting against their own self-interest economically because they're working three jobs. And in that party, that's going to help them. But but those are the people. I mean, one thing Mitt Romney might have been right about and. As you said, it's politics. You play the you play the hand you're dealt. But there is a certain percentage of America who's never going to do anything except for vote Republican. There's a certain percentage that'll only vote Democrat, Mm -hmm. and and you got to pay attention to that group in the middle. And I want what do you think that group in the middle, that group that showed up to the polls in November, and had not quite made up their mind ten days prior to it, what do you think caused those folks to choose your to choose Donald Trump over Joe Biden when they had not quite made up their mind yet. What chose, what, what made those people choose? Because those are the ones that may be rescuable, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that's right. And, and, you know, just as there are in, in any society, say 20 to 25% of the population that is beyond saving, you know, the, the white supremacists, the KKK, the Proud Boys, and, um, you know, hopefully, one of the purposes of liberal democracy is to contain them. But, but unfortunately, for two years, they were represented uh, vehemently and openly by 100% of the federal government with, with Donald acting as their standard barrier, bar- 
bearer. So like, I think that disease metastasized a little bit. So hopefully we'll contain them again. But the people you're talking about, um, I think in part it's because another percentage of people in any society have what we call authoritarian personality. It doesn't mean that they're authoritarian, you know, they want to lead in, uh, uh, in an authoritarian way. It means that they like to follow what they consider strong leaders. They're uncomfortable with change. They prefer homogeneity. But they also like being the us in the us versus them. Mm. So the reason that that should give us uh, room for hope is because all we need to do is change what us means. And COVID was a remarkable opportunity to do that. Unfortunately, we had Donald in the White House and he hates unity. <laughs> so he made the the them, Democrats, people of color. Um, some empathetic, smart person would have made them COVID. Would have been us against, united against COVID. So I think in November, thing, things were... At, felt out of control. People were terrified. So they're going to stick with what they know and what's familiar and what looks the same. Um, because again, Donald just stirs up division uh, among people. Are there people, because you said that there's the, the authoritarian personality likes mm -hmm. being us in the us versus them. Is there a mm -hmm. personality type that likes being the them in the us versus them? Um, hmm, interesting. Is there, is there a personality uh, type that, that, that gravitates towards being um, the attacked versus the attacker? Hmm. No, you know what? It, it's just, it's, it's more of just the way society organizes itself. And I mean, is there a personality type? I mean, I guess, you know, there are people who um, value diversity and um, value open-mindedness and, and uh, are comfortable with change, et cetera. Um, but it's, I don't think it's, it's about being um, victimized or being um, the opposition. I think the op that, that dichotomy is set up by the authoritarian. So in a, in a functioning democracy, we don't, that's not an issue. It only becomes an issue when the authoritarian leader takes advantage of people's fear and uses it to create division. And that's what Donald did quite expertly. Did he do it expertly or did he do it accidentally? Because <laughs> I've always, this is a complete, I'm changing the subject here, but yeah. I've always argued anytime <laughs> someone said he's a skilled politician, I've always said, you know, I didn't, I've not obviously spent as much time around him as you have, but <laughs> most of the time I got the sense that he just sort of, went with his gut and hoped to God that it worked. And if it didn't work, then he would just say it did anyway. <laughs> oh, no, you're, you're totally right. I agree with you 100%. I'm not saying he's, he's, he's done, in terms of policy stuff in particular, he didn't know what he was doing. He just let other people do it. And if he took credit, he took credit. If it didn't go well, he blamed everybody else. You which, know? Is a, which is exactly well, what mean, we knew would happen as soon as he put Mike Pence in charge of the right. COVID uh, response strategy. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That was the whole reason for that. But, I mean, he is skilled at certain things. And it's, they're not good things. But he is skilled at finding other people's weaknesses. He's skilled at... Um, 
you know, creating chaos because that is always to his advantage. And he's really good at, you know, creating divisive situations because that also benefits. Is there anybody that you can see in the on the horizon on that side who's got those same talents? Because I see people trying to do it, not necessarily doing it well or not doing it authentically. You know, I said to I, I went to one of the, his rallies in 2016 and, you know, it was hilarious to me because when I asked people at that rally, give me one word to describe him the word that came up the most was honest. And I always thought that was hilarious because knowing him, I knew that some of the things, at least at the time, and I'm sure you know that you can mm. always talk yourself into believing something that you didn't initially believe. But at the time he was running, I didn't believe in 2016 that he believed some of the stuff he was saying. He just was saying it, right. you know, because right. it was the character he oh, was playing. Um, he probably believes right. it now. It but he did yeah. it with a certain degree of authenticity. Um, you know, with a, well, if he'll say, if he's brave enough to say he'll grab some woman by the, then obviously he's not poll testing it. I don't see anybody else out there on the, on the, in the landscape who has that strange ability to just not give a flying what comes yeah. out of their mouth that I don't know if they have Was the talent. Do you? You are one of the very few people I've spoken to in the last year who's actually met him. So you know, one thing you can say about Donald is that he does have a certain kind of charisma that appeals to a certain kind of person. Now, you, I mean, I don't know, but if you, I imagine the first time you met him, you saw that in the first 10 seconds. It's amazing how but people, people used called him Mr. Trump, like it was almost a, yep. a unconscious thing to say it. Yeah, right. he does have, and but people didn't, it's very difficult in. to understand that when you explain that to people. Right, he buys, he makes you buy into his narcissism. And for people who are, you know, susceptible, like that makes them feel connected to power as they perceive it, right? I felt that every um, time he'd do something and he'd compliment someone. He talked shit about them a few weeks ago, but when he absolutely. compliments in front of their face, and I thought, God, and I watch people say, how, how, can he, how can Kevin McCarthy believe him? Because, you know, as you're saying, there's something about him where when he gives you a compliment, he has convinced you that it is worth more than anyone else's compliment towards you. And you're like, oh my God, thank you. <laughs> right. And, you know, I, in the first book I write about, when I went to the White House, going to the dining room, I hadn't said hello to him yet. He's standing by the door. He sees me for the first time. I hadn't seen him in eight years. And he points at me and he says, I specifically asked for you to be here. No, he didn't. Right. He did not specifically ask. And we both knew it. But like for like that brief second, I'm like, oh, yeah, that would make somebody feel yeah. really good if they believe that, right? So um, the other thing he does incredibly well is he puts people in a position where they make micro concessions. First, it's maybe you go on his plane with him and he says, isn't this great? Isn't this the best thing ever? You don't want to be rude. You say, yes, it's great. It's the best thing ever. Next thing you know, you're at a packed rally without a mask <laughs> and risking your life. <laughs> so I think that's what's, how it's kind of unfolded. There is nobody on the right who could, um, thankfully, there are people who are smarter, there are people who are more devious, if you can believe that. And there are people who are even more power hungry. 
Donald is more about money and protecting himself. Well, and fame, right? And being the center of attention than he is about power. And I've said that to people Um, in the past, that in ways, and there are very few ways, but if I'm trying to find a silver lining, (laughs) at least I'm thankful that he doesn't give enough of a shit to really do some of the things that he's talked about doing. You know, his his wall never got built because he didn't have the skill or the drive to actually work on it. And he, there are other people who would actually want to do those things and have the skill to do them. Um, yeah. What would a good, what would a good, what would the smart, if you were advising a candidate on the Republican side, if you were advising a Ben Sass or a Liz Cheney or someone who, or Adam Kinzinger, how would you advise them to, to tap into that psyche that, that Trump tapped into you know, in his group and bring them back to the, <laughs> to the. Like if they were running for president? Yeah, if one of those folks was running for president yeah. and they were running against someone who was using Trump's playbook, but they didn't want to do it with the hatred. I mean, if a Republican came yeah. along and was able to tap into some of those same grievances, but without the hatred and the racism and the xenophobia, I feel like they'd be very successful. But how do you tap yeah. into that? feeling that I think a lot of MAGA folks have of the them. The, I mean, they, they feel victimized. They look at the census report today and they see for the first time in decades, the level, the number, the percentage of non-Hispanic whites has gone down in America and the percentage of Hispanics has gone up substantially. And they yep. look at those numbers yep. and you know today they were shitting their pants thinking, see, I told you, the Mexicans are taking over. That's what my family was saying if they weren't in the hospital. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they would be saying it. And I think, what, how do you tap into, the, they're scared too and they feel victimized. They've got that them personality. What, yep. psych, to be the psychologist and help us figure out how to tap into it but not feed on it. Well, the problem is, and you know, this has this will be completely theoretical because the problem we find ourselves in is that people like that, they could do well in a general election, but they would never get the nomination because they would never get past um, the primary because the primaries are driven by the most. Um, but the primaries, we didn't that- think. A lot of people didn't. A lot, I did, but a lot of people didn't think that Trump would get do very well in the primaries because he would be weeded out. But he was able to Everything because broke he his fed way. into, yep. but he was able to feed into that grievance, right? Yes, so, yes so, absolutely. So potentially so, a Liz Cheney, a more reasonable Republican, could do it if they could tap into the grievance without using the, without using the hatred, or, or, or could they? You don't think they could? I, you know, I just, it's so bad. Yeah. Um, I, I think if if the Republicans had, they had so many opportunities to take an off-ramp. You know, they had so many opportunities to mitigate the damage, and they always, almost to a person, chose to side with Donald or to let him slide. And, and therefore, I mean, look what's happened to Liz Cheney. Well, fair, fair, uh, fair, fair. But there are, are they I taking mean, an off-ramp if, now? I mean, 19 of them voted for the infrastructure package that he very clearly said he wanted them to not vote for. Um, is that an off-ramp or is that a, oh, you don't have Twitter, so we're not afraid of you? 
Yeah, well, I think it's also a concession to reality. Um, even Republicans who vote for Republicans want stuff that will make their lives better, you know? And if you're a moderate, well, there's no such thing anymore. But if you're a Republican who's running in like a purple leaning red district, you, it's political suicide to keep voting against these things that are going to help their constituents. Like the, uh, I always forget what it's called, but the part of the uh, Relief Act, which gave families with children extra money, $300 to right. $600 per month per child, that helped the demographic that that helped That's most. socialism, was Mary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it helped rural Republicans most, which as you know, they trend more Republican, right? And every single Republican voted against it. So even, even the most hardcore Republican is, is going to get it if people like Liz Cheney, people like Adam Kinzinger, just hammer on that message. Listen, we are divided and you know we're at a crossroads in our country, but the only way we are going to make any progress is if we understand finally that we can make the government work for you. We've had been through a terrible time. We want to make things better. We want to stop COVID. We want to get your kids back to school safely. And we want to make sure that until the economy is back, you're going to help have the assistance you need. That's not socialism. That's um, that's being socially responsible. Well, it's, I mean, listen, I think that I think Democrats would be, personally would be smarter to play the us versus them card themselves and not make it about race, but make it about us working class people versus yes. the one percent Jeff Bezos billionaires. Um, but we haven't really done that oh, very yeah. much. We used to do it. It used to be the mantra of the party, but it's not as much anymore. It doesn't feel like yeah, I think Democrats have to do a little bit of soul searching here and also be very clear about what their what their mission is. And, um, you know, if you say and I think right now, the, the only the only party that can save us is the Democratic Party. But if they want to do that in a way that's going to matter, they need to um, do what I just said that Cheney should do. They need to help the American people understand that the government is a good force, and it's us. You know, it's not some. Have you thought alien about helping entity. with with like as as a political advisor? Because there is so much psychology that goes into that. I think it's missed out on when people are thinking about their. You know, they have their media consultant, they have their their communications person, their ad, their pollster, etc. But there is so much psychology, and for better or for worse, and it really was worse. Donald Trump tapped into psychology in a way that candidates have not done in a very long time, perhaps since Bill Clinton, in really connecting with their electorates, with their voters, um, in yeah. a way that Democrats haven't done very well. So you really should use that psychology expertise maybe to help frame and message some of this stuff in a better way. Um, I, I do want to quickly jump to a bunch. Of, we had a bunch of questions that were sent in for you. Um, quite a few good ones. We won't be able to get to all of them, but I want to throw some out for you. Uh, Sarah from Boston asks, is there anyone in your extended family who you would support in a run for office? Um, Boston. Love it. I went to Tufts. Um, hmm, my extended family... No. Okay, there you go. I mean, <laughs> although listen, Sarah, really, I'm trying really to get her to run, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
you know, I, there may be, but the, of the people we know of, no. I mean, they, even if, like, my cousins ran as Democrats, they've proven themselves to have absolutely no integrity. Do you have any, do you have contact with any of them at all still? Even Ivanka, who tries her best to not? No. Okay, I didn't know that. <laughs> no. Um, the moderating influence well, that she um, is. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree there, regardless. <laughs> um, and, I, and I have always liked, I, I've always liked all of them. I found them all to be charming, but I found them all to have that, that very special skill that their dad has, which is, you know, there's a salesmanship to it, right? Um, yeah, they're they're good at that. Logan from Austin, Texas says, both sides are acting from emotion more than logic. Shouldn't it be the other way around? Um, that's interesting. I don't see that. I mean, it depends if we're talking about, you know, citizens or, or elected officials. It's definitely true on the right among the uh, citizenry. But I think that for a lot of elected Republicans, there is quite a bit of calculation uh, going on. Political calculation. Yeah. So I don't I don't think Ted Cruz has emotion. <laughs> So I think people like Cruz and Cotton and Hawley are being very calculated in embracing this stuff. They probably have no patience with, but they know they need to. Um, but the folks use like, but the scariest. They, I mean, you're right. I, can't, I shouldn't say the scariest because obviously Ted Cruz scares the ever-loving shit out of me. But but the Marjorie <laughs> Taylor Greens of the world oh, are yeah, are not course. thinking. They're not using logic. They're using emotion, right? Oh yeah, they're just trying to stir it up uh, for their own political benefit, and it is—it's—it's it's as dangerous. Um, I just, all, my point was simply that I don't think it's there is cl calculation, and I do think there at, at the moment there's more logic on the Democratic side, and I honestly wish they would be a little bit more passionate um, in terms of understanding just how bad things are right now and how they really need to tap into. Um, what is a deep concern among a lot of us about where we might be headed if we don't put the brakes on. But don't on, they have you know? to tap, so, don't we have to tap into the concern on the other side too, though? I mean, I'm not giving them too much credit, but I mean, what, wouldn't it be just as dangerous to have a, a country that right now, electorally at least, is split 50-50, electorally? I understand that, yes, more mm -hmm. people voted for the, the yeah. Democrat in the House. Um, is split 50-50 and not be able to do these bipartisan things simply because don't you end up with a, with a system that just keeps flipping back and forth? I mean, I, I, I don't want Republicans to win power of all three, you know, both houses of Congress and the White House. Um, right. Right. But when they do, inevitably, before I die, um, again, I hope that they don't run roughshod over things like they did last time, right? Like, do we need to have more of a... It's what Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema are trying to do. Is it valuable? No, it's dangerous. They are pretending that um, keeping in place the filibuster, which is a very anti-democratic um, te technicality that was not in the Constitution... Um, in order to save democracy is not going to do that because it's giving power to the party that is hell-bent on 
undermining at least democracy. So I, it, it's, it's a terrible strategy and I have to be honest with you, it demonstrates to me either that they care more about their own political power and or they don't understand how government works and it's their job to understand how government works. Well, so I would, have to, I would argue they know how government works. I mean, that Joe Manchin's been a governor and he's been well, in the House and he's been in the Senate for a hot second too. So he, he's- yeah, I'm not it. so sure about Kirsten. She's Senate been in the House. She, she was in the House for a while herself. But regardless, yeah. they know how it works. Listen, either way, they're getting there. Whether you agree with them or not, they are two of the most powerful people in Washington right now, one way or the other. So they must I know how it works. You just might not. They do. And, but it's a fluke, right? And my quest, my point is that if they were interested in helping the American people by, you know, being the majority that wants to Are they do supposed things to? for the American people. Is Joe Manchin supposed to help the American people or is he supposed to help the West Virginian people? Well, the... I mean, I mean I'm listen, not I understand the point. Sure. Arguably, what the people of West Virginia right. need as as a as a progressive, they need some of these like things. I, I get right. you, but but exactly. but do we con- do we continue to in this national in this environment of all of our media being national and no, do we forget that we yep. are really a country of fifty separate states with fifty separate needs, and the states elect the president, not the people elect the president. Each state elects the president, and each senator. I mean, mm-hmm. until nineteen twenty something. Senators weren't even elected by the people, right? They were elected by the right. state legislatures. So mm-hmm. Joe Manchin's job is right. to, is, it's always funny to me when we get really upset about people who are just doing what's best for their political livelihood, but then mm-hmm. we also get mad at them if they don't listen to what the people who elected them want too. I mean, that's sort of what politics is. You are supposed to do yeah. what the people who elected you want you to do. And arguably, right. the people of West Virginia that voted by a, what, 60-point margin for Donald Trump, mm-hmm. they, they mm-hmm. want what the Republicans want, not what the Democrats want. So he's doing a pretty good job of getting, of, I mean, hell, I would say if I was Kirsten Cinema, listen, if you think I'm a Republican, okay, I'll switch parties. And then where would you be? <laughs> We'd be screwed because Mitch McConnell would be know, in charge, right? Despicable. I mean, that would be despicable. It would be despicable, but, but the argument is the alternative could be having Kelly Ward in Arizona, right? Who is a nut. Yeah, but I mean, we shouldn't be held hostage by people who are, who are standing in the way of saving our don't you think? Don't you think Republicans thought the same thing about John McCain when he thumbs down the uh, repeal of Obamacare? Don't you think that they said we shouldn't be held hostage by this one guy, this John McCain guy who refuses to overturn Obamacare? I mean, those Republicans felt the same way, but we on the left were so thrilled that he did that. I mean, there is, there's definitely a, we're not the only folks here, <laughs> right? Of course, when you're talking about a policy versus, you know, and I'm I'm sorry if it sounds melodramatic. It just happens to be the case. We are on the brink of losing our democracy. I, I listen, I agree That's with you. That's different from a, a policy thing. Especially so, the voting rights most bill. Americans probably, I mean, I, what, especially the voting rights bill. I mean, the, the John Lewis yeah. voting rights bill, HR1, SR1, big deals. Exactly. I absolutely want them to pass without question. So, um, but, and... and but I'll be damned, <laughs> you know? Well, what's important, though, like what John McCain did is a policy issue. 
And did more people support it on the right than not that it would be overturned? Maybe. But if you ask Republicans if they supported the ACA, they said John yes. McCain actually didn't do a policy. It wasn't a policy issue. John McCain did it based on the Senate rules. He chose to thumbs down that particular thing because they had not taken it through committee and it had not oh, done right. what it was I'm supposed sorry. to do. Well, so he did it based on Senate rules. And arguably, right. again, just argue, making the I want these things to pass, but arguably right. what, listen, I have complained for years, especially in my state in North Carolina, that Republicans, they didn't have control until 2010. Democrats ran the state mm -hmm. of North Carolina for 150 years, mm -hmm. for better or for worse, yep. but they ran the state. In 2010, they got power and holy shit, Mary, they just changed the rules. They gerrymandered everything. Yep. This particular county yep. I live in, they changed the rules so our county commissioners were all elected you know, by uh, at large, and then that didn't work, so they changed the rules back again and put us, I mean, they just completely yeah. changed the rules all the time. And I know as a Democrat, the most, the strong, one of the strongest arguments that I've, I've made has been, God, you can't just keep changing the fucking rules when you can't win. If you can't win, you don't get to right. gerrymander the district so that you have the vote. And I wonder if there is an argument. And I have gone back and forth on the filibuster thing, too. And if, the, if it went away, I mm -hmm. would not cry any tears. But um, I do wonder if there's not an argument to be made for saying, if you can't win, don't change the rules. You know, we, I hate that Al Gore and Hillary Clinton <laughs> both won the popular vote but lost the Electoral College. I hate mm -hmm. that it could happen again and it'll more likely happen, to, but I feel like we knew the rules going in. We should do a better job of appealing to those small states, perhaps. Or we knew, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not going to change your mind. You might not change mine either. But no, 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 but Clay, but, but it, but I think it's not that I disagree with you. What, I, what I'm saying, though, what I what you're also seem to be saying is that the reason they keep winning the Electoral College is not because um, the Electoral College is working. It's because they're making it impossible for Democrats votes to count. So they're cheating. So. Why is that okay? Well, they're changing the it's rules, sort of right? Like, they're changing the rules. They didn't have a problem with mail-in voting in Utah and, and uh, Washington State and Oregon for years, but now they have a problem with mail-in voting because it didn't work for them because they, so they want to change the rules, right? Right, but it's cheating. So, so I don't know. Is that okay? No, it's I, not I, okay. I, listen, I agree. It's changing the rules. And yeah. so I guess my only yeah. argument, and again, I, like I've said, I've torn on the filibuster. We do have a lot of checks and balances in place. If something passed the Senate, it still mm -hmm. has to pass the House and be signed by the president. So a filibuster is... Right. But, but I ask myself, you know, why do we need three-fifths of the states to ratify an amendment to the Constitution? And mm -hmm. the reason is because if we didn't require three-fifths of the states to ratify an amendment, then, you know, we would have codified, we would have abolished slavery, and then we would have put it back in, and then we would have gotten, I mean, we would have constantly gone back and forth. And I feel like certain things have a lot of resistance until they're done, and then people just kind of, you know, Obamacare left. Same-sex marriage, they hated it, they fought it, they fought it with bullshit arguments. It's done. Nobody's trying to go and repeal same-sex marriage. We've got other battles we need to fight, right. but they're not trying to do it. Right. And so right. I think sometimes just stopping some shit <laughs> for a second and sl making folks mm -hmm. slow down doesn't necessarily hurt. It hurts me right now because I want that voting rights bill to be passed, 
Absolutely. Yep. But I can't help but yep. think about the fact that in six years, I may be thinking, sweet Jesus, I'm so glad we still have, I'm so glad Joe Manchin stood in the way and didn't get rid of the filibuster because now Matt Gates is president and Kevin McCarthy's speaker and Mitch McConnell is 115 years old and still, the, <laughs> 115 years old so and still, and we can't, and at least we're able to stop this legislation. Let's leave the filibuster aside for a second though. What you just said about the Voting Rights Act, one of the reasons we're in this situation is because of a, a horrific Supreme Court decision that uh, John Throwing Roberts away the umbrella uh, in the middle of a rainstorm, right? It, yes. So playing by the rules, President Biden put five more seats on the Supreme Court, double the size of the federal judiciary. Let's level this playing yeah, but, but field. Then, but, yeah, but he does that, Supreme and then we end, up with, we, we end up with the next time Republicans are in charge, they throw five more on also, and we're going to have a, we're going to need a football or stadium to hold the Supreme Court. It's happening. They're going to have to give you and me a seat. On there. <laughs> I would do it too. <laughs> but, but. I don't think you have to be a lawyer. <laughs> But wouldn't we, wouldn't we be better? I mean, the, the, his argument in that particular case was you can't hold certain states to a certain standard that other states are based on, based on what they had done in the past. Well, the solution to that should be, okay, well, let's just hold all the fucking states to the same standard. Let's not make it just – in North Carolina, there were only six or seven counties that were held to this standard, not the rest of them. And then, obviously, states like Alabama and Mississippi and Georgia, the whole state was. But that's what made it unconstitutional. So the solution should be, okay, yep. let's put the Voting Rights Act back in place and just, <laughs> like, make it for everybody. Yeah. But I, with the Supreme Court, though, it's like – and this, again, seems to be something that happens historically. If you cheat and get into a position of power, you win and nobody's going to change anything. Like, why should Kavanaugh be allowed to be in the Supreme Court? Why should um, the guy who stole Merrick Garland's seat? I don't remember his name. Thank you. I mean, it's an illegitimate seat. But just because he's there now, we're not going to do anything about it. You know, it's really, I think, and this is to me where where the Democrats uh, fall short. The Republicans are really good at working with, Mitch McConnell's a master of that. He works within the within system, the system right. to get what he wants, right? Democrats can do the same thing. They should. Well, Harry Reid did, undone? but, but uh, Harry Reid's not there anymore, and maybe... <laughs> Maybe Chuck right. Schumer needs to be right. taught a little bit. Oh, I'm, I'm going to get yelled at if I don't move on. I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> um, uh, Tanner from Columbus asks, is your uncle going to run for president in 2024? Uh, okay. Um, I have a theory on this, but I want to hear election. yours. Oh, okay, cool. I actually, I'm, I'm eager to hear yours. Um, after the election, I thought, absolutely not. He got his ass kicked. He lost so badly he would never put himself in a position to be humiliated like that again. And then lo and behold, instead of repudiating him, instead of making him irrelevant, the, almost the entire Republican Party backed up his big lie, and now they're backing up the second big lie, pretending the insurrection wasn't a big deal or was a deep state thing. And much more troublingly are all of the voter suppression bills that are they're trying to pass in every single state. All they need to do is make it impossible for enough Democrats to vote in Georgia, Arizona, and Pennsylvania, and no Democrat can win a statewide election again. If Donald 
gets the message that if he uh, if he runs, he can't lose and he's not in prison, he may well run because he needs the powers and protections of the Oval Office. And if he's not risking it, risking anything, why wouldn't he? Um, I, well, you're, you're, my theory ends after the first sentence of yours, which is essentially that I think he would he will continue to pretend he's going to run until the last minute, and then oh, yeah. he won't want to because he won't want to have the, the risk of losing. He's not going to want to, to do that. And I don't know that anybody... Well, listen, he's not smart enough to recognize. I don't know that any of the voter suppression tactics that, that Texas and Georgia and other places are putting into place would be as effective as they may believe they are when it comes to suppressing the vote, because I, I think right. people will show... Listen, in some ways, I think putting him on the ticket could be the best thing for Joe Biden, because I think it would just yeah. motivate folks to show up to vote. They would, they would think, you know, yes, it's been four years right. of boring, but I'll be damned if I want to go back to the same crap again. I'm not bored at all. I mean, I, I mean, people are alive. No, no, no. I, I, but you, you know what I mean by boring. The news is, no, I, know I, don't exactly have to, I don't have an I, ulcer every yeah. day <laughs> because I'm worried Wait, about nice what... Be like, I've never worried well, so much in my life about... Like, I actually never. made a plan for what I would do living in New York if I heard that we had bombed someone because I would want to get out of New York as quickly. I mean, like, I made contingency plans yep. for what would happen if we did something stupid and North Korea shot at us. Um, and I appreciate not having to worry about that now anymore. Yeah, I appreciate sometimes not remembering who... Wait <laughs> Oh, yeah, Biden's right. president, I forgot. You know, it's, it's, it's a luxury. It's a little bit nice. Um, I, I think that looking at these political divisions from a psychological standpoint is very valuable because I think that we forget that people vote based on fear a lot of times, right? And I think that does happen on both sides. People on the left are afraid mm-hmm. of... X, Y, and Z, and, and I can agree with you that some of those fears are a little more rational than the fears on the right, but people on the right are yeah. afraid of their country being taken away from them, in air quotes, you know, and they're afraid of, they're afraid of things that I don't think are rational, but they are still afraid of something, whether it's rational or not. Their fear is real. Yes. It doesn't matter, right? There's a point to which it doesn't exactly. matter if it's rational or based in, in reality. They... And, and 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 looking at it from that psychological that. take like you're doing yeah. in this book is I think a valuable way to look at it because we constantly have people talking about the you know the political strategy behind this and the demographics are changing and it's just about the numbers and at the end of the day those things are true but they're not true enough for us to overcome some of these challenges without peeling away some of those folks who made that decision at yep. the last minute. So the book is called The Reckoning, yep. Our Nation's Trauma and Finding a Way to Heal. It doesn't come out till next week, but it'll be out. Um, it'll be out. What day it comes out? Next Tuesday or Monday? Uh, Tuesday, August 17th. August 17th. So people will be able to listen to this, listen to Mary and I go at each other a little bit, and then go pick <laughs> up the book and she'll get the last word, but you get it tonight too. So I got to ask you, how the heck are we going to get along? Oh, boy. Um... Well, first of all, I just want to say that I actually love this kind of conversation where there's a little bit of, you know, it's boring to agree 100%, you know, and it, it's clarifying to have somebody point out where you maybe aren't right about something. I love that. I mean, we need more of that 
that doesn't end up with somebody dead, you know what I mean? Or with uh, blood on the floor. So um, I think part of it is, is this, like creating dialogue that's safe, you know? But first things first, we need to get over COVID um, because until such time as we don't feel like our lives are being put at risk by our fellow citizens, it's a little hard to be willing to make room for that kind of difference, right? Um, but I think hopefully, you know, when things get better, the economy picks up again, people start feeling safe again, we're going to assess where we are and there will be people on the other side or in the middle or, you know, on the farther edge of the left on the, you know, the democratic side who are going to understand that it's more important that we coexist peacefully and productively than it is to be right all the time.